0: You for joining us for this edition of Campwire, today we will be talking about talking about racism with kids, and we've got three guests um, that I'm so pleased to introduce to you. Or I'm, I actually have them introduce themselves. Hamida Abdul Qadir is the outreach and engagement coordinator for Building Bridges, uh, a program out of the Denver, Colorado area, and she works with Reagan Quadelbaum of Trans, who is the Transform program manager for building bridges. And we also have Ron Towns, the executive director and founder of Camp Common Ground, which happens up in the Bay Area of California. My name is John Beitner. I'm the professional development manager for ACA's Western Region. And I'm so glad to have our three guests with us today. Um, I would love to have you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work. Ron, would you mind going first Just tell us uh, a little bit about who you are and uh, the work that you're doing with Common Ground.
1: Sure. Thank you, John, for having me. Um, So my name is Ron Towns, um, and I've been an educator for 13 years. Um, I was a teacher for 11 years and um, have been an assistant principal at a a public middle and high school um, in Oakland, California for two years. Um, Six years ago, I co-founded Camp Common Ground with um, my co-founder, Zach Bell, um, and I currently serve as the the executive director. Um, At Camp Common Ground, our vision is that we create a world free of race and class bias, and we do that by really teaching youth, um, mostly middle school youth, two sets of skills. The first one is uh, discrete social emotional skills so that they build relationships across race and class lines through our program. And then the second um, set of skills we teach are leadership skills, where they apply them to projects they complete in either their schools or communities that build bridges um, between other kids who are not a part of our program. So, really trying to train youth to be leaders of anti racism uh, work in their schools and communities.
0: Excellent, thank you. Hamida, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing?
2: Sure, hey y'all, my name is Hamida and I've been with Building Bridges since I was in camp. So I'm a camper who became part of the staff, which is really awesome. Uh, When I started Building Bridges, we were the Muse program, Middle East US and we really tackled the conflict about the conflict in the Middle East. Um, When I say the conflict, I mean it's the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And that really sparked a fire in me because it was the first time people wanted to hear my thoughts about something. And we really talk about conflict as a, not a bad thing, but as a um, tool for change. That's the thing you run away from. So we teach a lot of conflict transformation skills, we call it, and give youth the tools that honestly everybody needs of taking things head on and um, shifting perspectives about our opinions that maybe we don't know we have, or that we've uh, gathered from our parents, our, our culture, all these things, and put them in a room together with a bunch of people very different from them. And um, it's always a good outcome at the end.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And Reagan, uh, you work with Amida. I know that you're in charge of the youth programs. Tell us about yourself and about your work.
3: Yeah. So, hey, my name is Reagan. I have been with Building Bridges for almost seven years now. Um, I am the program manager, and basically what I make sure is that all of our youth programming happens. Um, and just adding on something that Hamida began to talk about, we like to focus on anti-oppression, period. And in the last maybe four years have really focused on anti-racism and um, anti-ageism as a part of our programming.
0: CampWire is made possible through the generous support of our sponsors. ActiveWorks Camp and Class Manager is the leading all-in-one software solution for your camp, whether it's in person, online, or somewhere in between. Manage your camps with secure, easy-to-use software and give families the freedom to register online from any mobile or desktop device. Fill your camp to capacity every season with feature rich built in marketing tools. ActiveWorks Camp and Class Manager, innovation with you in mind. That's very interesting because um, at a lot of camps, there's this assumption that the camp counselors will be college aged. Um, and there's a lot of people who are beyond college age that, you know, still feel like they've got something to offer uh, to children. So kind of uh, addressing ageism in camping uh, is an interesting topic too. Let's, let's uh, find out a little bit more about Camp Common Ground. Ron, how did you and Zach get that started? Where, what was the, what's, what's your origin story?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So Zach um, and I met six years ago. Um, We actually were working at another camp, Camp Galileo, which is a day camp here um, in the Bay Area, among other places. And we just became friends as as people who work together. And um, just through our friendship, um, we both have been in education for a few years, Zach as like an after school director and myself as a teacher at that time, and um, we just were hanging out one day and he had had this idea about starting a summer camp um, that really um, tried to get people from different backgrounds to build community and um, he approached me about this. And basically, I think because of my teaching experience, I was able to name that what I had seen as an educator as some of the barriers for kids um, to truly building relationships across race and class lines and how that played out in schools um, and in communities. Um, and that was through experience I had with students, with, with their families, et cetera. Um, and so we met each other in 2015, and then a year later, summer 2016, we launched our first summer. Um, and so now in um, we're approaching summer 2021, um, we, we are entering our, our fifth year um, and we're really excited about it.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And Hamida, you said that building bridges uh, started with dealing with the Arab-Israeli conflict? Uh,
2: yes, the oh. Palestinian and Israeli conflict.
0: Wow. And did you bring participants from, you know, the Middle East to to camp? Or how, yes. Tell you about that.
2: So, um, oh my goodness, I can go, <laughs> uh, we are 20, almost 27 years old. So we started with that. And uh, the folks here, um, counselors and social workers who were um, Israeli um, and Jewish here in Denver, really want to talk about the conflict and especially like how it affected youth. So, yes, they did fly in Israeli and Palestinian girls. So, we started with just uh, people who identified as women. And it was the most bizarre feeling because I was the last cohort of that camp. So, it was like 50 of us. So, there's like, <laughs> Uh, Israelis, Palestinians, and then the Americans, and we were all in the mountains of Colorado <laughs> talking about the conflict. How exciting,
0: yeah. how exciting. So that's, that's where you got your start. And, and Reagan, tell us where it's gone from there. How has it grown from that initial idea?
3: Yeah, so about, I guess it was about when I started, six years ago, no, seven years ago, um, we realized that although... There, although the conflict in the Middle East is important and um, our students should and need to know about what's going on, we had some conflict going on in our own backyard here in the US and specifically in Denver, Colorado. So our um, co-directors at the time made the decision to focus on US-based programming and staying in the Denver area And we still have a, well, not we, it is now its own separate organization and office building bridges in um, the Middle East still. So they do programming on their end while we continue to do our US-based programming where we focus on anti-oppression and racism and things that are going on here.
0: Excellent, excellent. And Hamida, you've got one of my favorite uh, storylines, which is, I was a camper and now I'm on staff. Um, I think that's that's really cool. And those are some of the the, the favorite staff members that I had when I was directing camp. Um, how did you get connected? How did you find out uh, about this program in the first place?
2: Yes. Yeah, so Building Bridges is a program I initially did not want to do because <laughs> the it being uh, in the mountains for two weeks did not appeal to me as a 16-year-old in the summer. <laughs> uh, I Planned on staying and watching movies and accomplishing nothing, really. <laughs> so I had a uh, mentor at school who like sat me down and said, Hamida, she literally came to my house. Um, she was one of the people in our community. She's like one of the few white people in our community. i from Greeley, Colorado, and it's very like rural, and there's a lot of immigrant communities that were very segregated. So it's very segregated. Like You can tell, like this is my side of town. This is your side of town. Um, so even though it was a very diverse place, it wasn't diverse, you know? So she sat me down and said, hey, is like something you're really interested in, because I was that person in the office, was like, hey, so people shouldn't have Confederate flags on their trucks because that's a little racist. So they're like over me. (laughs) And uh, so my liaison at school, her name is Marta, sat me down and like came to my house. And my mom trusted her and all the other Somali moms in the community trusted her because she's already in the community. She came, she ate the food, she didn't complain. She was really cool um and she said like your daughter needs to do this and my mom's like i'm not gonna let my daughter because I'm, I'm from african household and you're just like don't let your daughters go to the mountains <laughs> with strangers for two weeks i don't think anyone does that so uh she got me and two other one was my cousin one was my neighbor other somali girls and that's how my mom said yes to me going well, that's how it happened and now i'm great that i'm really grateful she pushed me to do it and like literally made me fill it out in front of her because i did not want to do it
0: <laughs> <Should we? laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I'm glad that you found a place that uh, you feel, you know, safe and and you can make these great contributions. Reagan, how did you come to Building Bridges?
3: Yeah, I have a a similar story of safety, I guess. Um, I started at Building Bridges as a summer facilitator. Um, I was referred, no, I was actually kind of told that I needed to be a facilitator with Building Bridges. Um, it was a point in my life where I was struggling with my mental health and I, I don't know, I guess the previous co-director at Building Bridges, I knew her cause I used to babysit her kids. And she heard my silent cry for help and was like, hey, you have an interview at this place. Here's what you're gonna do, be ready. And I was like, okay, I guess. And
0: I haven't left since. That's awesome. That's awesome. Sometimes we take the best care of ourselves when we learn to take care of other people. So I'm glad that you you found that way. Camp Brain is an intuitive and complete camp software package built with care and you, the camp pro in mind. They take pride in building long lasting relationships through their amazing support and love that they show to each client. Camp Brain is not only focused on your needs for summer 2021, but for the next 25 years. For more information, visit them at campbrain.com. So, Ron, you you got things uh, rolling, um, and, and, and brought in your your expertise as an educator. Tell us what your uh, what your process is. Uh, what are your programs? goals and and how do you get your participants there
1: sure um so basically we're a really outcomes driven organization so um to begin our process we think about um what are the skills that we want our kids to have um and from those skills we then design a curriculum um or did design a curriculum that aligns to those skills um, and then we think about how are we going to assess? Kind of, do kids have those? So um, we have a few data points that we look at. So we actually have three um, research-based surveys that we administer before and after the program to see kids' growth in particular skill areas. Um, and then we also conduct interviews with each kid. Um, after the program to see what they've learned. Um, and then we also try, we're not as strong as we like to be at this, but we actually try to um, contact each family member, excuse um, me, each family of every kid to see is what we're um, what what are we, what we're teaching through our program, is that translating outside of our program at, at home. Um, and I can go into specific skills if that if I should do that now or not, but that's kind of our process.
0: Well I'm very curious about the specific skills um but this is for all of you what is what is the makeup of your programs I know Ron you said at least middle school um so what's the what's the age range that you're uh that you're inviting or or having your program and what's the kind of racial makeup of your programs
1: Yeah um, um... For sure. Um, so we a kid. So basically, we're a two um, summer program. So kids begin their first summer, and usually they're in either seventh, eighth, or sometimes ninth grade. And then um, the following school year, we do school year work with them, and we call that our Leadership Academy, um, where we kind of follow up on on skills that they learned over the summer, and then they return for a second summer. So by the second summer, usually. Um, our youth are in eighth, ninth, or tenth grade. Um, so we we stay with them from like late middle school to early high school. Um, in terms of um, racial demographics, um, so usually in a given year, about a quarter of our kids are black, um, about little less than 20% are white. Um, we have 6% Asian, um, usually 39% mixed. So, and that varies like the racial demographic, but, but by or multiracial students. And then, um, we have about 9% um, who identify as Latino only. So that's generally the, the racial demographic makeup of our, of our kids.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And what's the, the kind of makeup of participants at Building Bridges?
3: Yeah, so at Building Bridges, it has definitely changed over the years. I will say in the past, it used to be primarily white students. And now today, this cohort we have are primar- primarily black, indigenous, and other people of color. Um, and that was, it took a lot of hard work to make sure that students who do identify as people of color feel like they can be in programming where they are represented by the counselors or facilitators that they work with, um, as well as just knowing that they will not be the only one in our programs. So for now, it's primarily people of color.
0: Excellent, excellent. And uh, Ron, you were gonna tell us a little bit more about you know, what, what some of those uh, specific data points were that you're observing prior to participation, through participation, post participation. What are what are the things the things you're looking for and looking at?
1: Yeah, so we um, basically our skills that we teach are divided into two categories: so social emotional skills and leadership skills, um, and they they differ based on the year. So our we call our, our first year kids our year ones, um, and so that's when they first enter their enter our program. Um, we, we teach a, a subset of skills that we believe um, are part of building relationships across racial difference. And so those skills are active listening, um, nonviolent communication, um, sharing vulnerably, um, particularly about race and identity and, and how to do that, um, how to paraphrase for um, feelings and needs for what you heard and also um, resolving conflict. Um, And then in terms of so those are the social emotional skills in terms of leadership skills, um, we teach kids how to identify social norms that exclude people of different races And, and the reason why is that Oftentimes when kids do leadership projects, they see in their schools how different groups of kids are marginalized by their race. And so we try to explicitly teach at our camp um, through interactive ways how to identify when that's happening. And then we teach them um, how to like design an intervention or a project to address that, and and um, that's really the focus of our school year program is really getting kids after their first summer um, to all complete by May of that school year a leadership project that has an impact in their school. Um, so, so those are the, those are the skills that we teach discreetly at can common ground.
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, and Hamida, how how does uh, building bridges tackle those same sort of uh, leadership in emotional in tra- emotional MESH training, the mental, emotional, social health training? Yeah,
2: so uh, majority of our programming usually happens outside of this year because of COVID, usually happens at our two week summer camp. And we call it a uh, summer intensive for a reason because it is intense. And that's when we tackle um, race, uh, microaggressions, class, sex, um, sexuality and gender. And so first thing we do is kind of like that out and say hey race is a thing and it's not even like we're gonna discover that racism is like oh no it's like a fact of life uh and then we uh go into like small groups and large groups to talk about the workshops and what came up for people and through that is when um similar to what ron said like intensive listening we let we set ground um ground rules like i statements one mic uh things that maybe they haven't um learned before and i think because we work with the older age group like high school age um, a lot of those conversations are, they, they kind of already have a little bit of that language because they see it in their lives. So they can speak about their identities, but we kind of just give them the tools in which they, we can do it in a large group and then in some, and small groups divide into that. So each we do like multiple workshops a day. Um, and the objective is similar to like our cash phase slogan, is like to shift perspectives um, through meeting people who are different than you and also challenging your own biases that you have um, and we're very like transparent, we're really big on transparency. And it isn't uh, a, and we try to make sure that we don't harm our BIPOC, black indigenous people of color. Cause most of the time people of color have to share their stories. And it's a lot more um, emotionally draining to be like, here's why like this world isn't made for me <laughs> uh, than like white students who have to, who are more like benefiting. So we're trying to make sure everyone benefits equally and we're all getting something out of it. Versus like, we need you to teach them about racism. Like, no, we're all learning about how we fit into the system. Reagan,
3: Yeah, um, I was just reflecting, Ron. I think our programs are very parallel to each other, Um, more of the structure. Similarly, we also have our first year of school year-long programming, and then we invite those students back for an alumni fellowship and um i think our leadership pipeline is really strong and like right now on our board of directors we have uh three alumni of our program but two of them are youth actually nope the last one turns 18 this month or next month um but we then invite them to join our board and we pay them as facilitators and we just continue this cycle and that is how like the is here now too
0: Excellent, and you've, you've all been referencing certain little techniques that you do of like one mic and I statements and things like that. So for camps that want to start to include this kind of work, what, what sort of techniques are you using that you'd be willing to share with other camps to like, to learn more about? Uh, they, they, they absolutely um, are not as trained as, as uh, you are, but if they had to start somewhere, what sort of techniques should they be learning about to add into their programming?
3: Yeah, so I think something that we start off with at Building Bridges is like Mita mentioned, we call them our golden group norms or golden group agreements, um, where we make sure that no matter how many types of camps or programs students have done or how experienced they are with hard conversations like talking about race, um, they know that we have ground rules, such as one mic, or my favorite is make space, take space, and that's just recognizing that um, that if you tend to talk more or take up more space to pause, reflect, and let others in the group like use up some of that space, and for those of our students who are maybe more introverted or quiet, we allow them the space to um, push themselves and speak or contribute. And we really, I don't know, we really just trust our group to know that like, this is your space that we are just, we're just here containing it. So it is whatever our students are going to make it. And um, it takes all of them. It's not just about the counselors or the facilitators.
2: Yeah, Regan. Um we love our group norms and a lot of times the participants or whoever we're doing workshop with are the ones who upkeep it um and we'll just be like so here's what we agreed to uh, my favorite is Reagan alluded to a little bit but challenged by choice is something we say all the time to the point where people are like annoyed at the end of it um it's <laughs> it's like hey you're gonna get out whatever you put into this workshop if you don't speak then um people won't be able to hear all your wonderful ideas and we can't hear your thoughts. Unfortunately, we haven't figured that out yet. So you're gonna have to share. Um, and if you don't, it's okay. And it's just like a reminder of like, hey, this is hard and it's, it's supposed to be hard. Um, so, And eventually people to the point, like a hair part of is when um, someone really, really shy, just like drops a bomb on everyone. It's like, actually, here's what I think. And, and I just love it so much. I'm like, yes, thank you. And it's, it's just nice to um, see that young people grow into that?
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, I think to build on what Reagan and Hamida said, I think in addition to like individual techniques, I think if I were at a camp where we were just trying to try something, I I might like try to get my hands on activity, like just try one or two new activities that Another camp might do just to experiment with. Um to, to get everybody used to like talking about, you know, race or class or oppression or whatever, like kind of the lenses, um, or even better yet, like going to see another camp, do the activity to learn from them. I think we don't observe each other enough in like the camp world, but I think that's maybe a place I would start. I think the second thing that I think is really critical, um. That is harder is is and but is a super big need is is recruitment of kids and making sure that there are actually diverse groups of kids at camp. Um, I mean, we all know like you can pick out the camps that have diverse groups and you can most of them are do not have that. And I think that um, with Camp Common Ground, I think we we. Have learned that, like, that's super important is be really intentional about that and actually go out of your way during the off season to get that. Because when you get to camp, like, part of to have those conversations, you need kids from different backgrounds to even have those type of conversations, right? Like, if I had a camp of all black kids, right? Hypothetically, and I'm black, we are not going to have the same conversation as if we had like a, a diverse array of, um, you know, like, like kids of different racial backgrounds. So I just think that piece is really important and like getting, getting the kid, who the kids are matters too.
0: Excellent, excellent. And you, you bring up a good point. And uh, Amita, you talked about identity a moment ago. So because it's an, uh, it's an audio experience, I'm gonna say that I am a white Euro mutt kind of WASPy guy that works for ACA, cis male. Um, do you guys want to identify yourselves for our listeners?
2: Sure, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Sorry, Regan. Uh, she unmuted herself, I missed it. Uh, my name is, oh, no, let me know. I just said my name is. Uh, I am Somali, uh, but I identify as black and Somali because in America, it's kind of, we're all one <laughs> kind of thing. But uh, ethnically, I am Somali, um, cis.
3: Yeah, and Reagan here. I identify as a Black cisgender woman. Um, yeah, I think those are some important identities for me right now.
0: Excellent, and Ron, you've just called yourself a, a go ahead, you can say it.
1: Sure, I can, I can tell you. Um, I'm Ron Towns, I'm, I identify as Black. Uh, he, him are my pronouns, um, I identify as gay and cis male.
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, Well, (laughs) I I think that's an interesting uh, point in a conversation like this, if I'm just a listener. Campwire is made possible through the generous support of our sponsors. With UltraCamp's registration software, we help take the worry out of registration so your camp can focus on making memories that last a lifetime. UltraCamp, we're with you every step of the way. For pricing and registration solutions, Connect with our staff at ultracamp.com today. Uh, Great. So let's talk about what defines anti-racism programming. We talked a little bit about the ages that your particular programs serve. Would you try anything with elementary age school kids? Because a lot of kids are going to camp at that age range. Um, Or is that something that you need a little more life experience to get a more meaningful conversation going? What's, what's your opinion on age ranges?
3: That's a great question. Um, so although at Building Bridges, we do work with high school age students, and I do think with the, I don't know, maybe level of intensity we talk about, um, racism and other oppressive systems, age does factor into how we, or like the way we approach it. Um, I do think that there are ways to talk to younger kids and elementary school age kids and that it is important. Um, I am a big proponent of naming things. Um, I used to work at a K through eight, uh, and whenever students would ask me about something they've seen in the news or, Um, Her overheard their parents or family members talking about. Uh, I just learned to listen to what questions they did have and answer it in the best way possible without crossing um, boundary lines that maybe the families have set, but also not letting things slide. Like if a, a white student said something that is racist, I might not just say, that's racist what you just say, but instead just explaining like, oh, well, the way you just said this actually hurt my feelings and this is how and why. Um, Cause you know, little kids are always gonna ask the why question. So I try to give as much of the because um, in my answer.
2: Seems I always go after Reagan, I'll talk. <laughs> uh, I think, I, when people ask, I've had people ask me this question before, and I just think of how early that kids of color have to know about race. And I think just being honest with your children and it's not like a big secret, (laughs) like, ooh. And I think, uh, because I used to work at a a K-3 as well, but I know I worked at a, with younger kids, I worked pre-K and kids would be like, why are you black? And I was like, I'm from a place where everybody's black they're like oh okay and they're satisfied with that and I think instead of like being like oh my god it's like it's not a bad thing like being black is not a bad thing you noticing my skin color isn't a bad thing and uh I noticed with a lot of the white parents I worked with like they'd be like oh, I am so sorry And I'm like no it's an observation it's true it's not bad and kind of talking about um and when kids see a different person or when your young children see someone different like why do they look like that like oh well they're from this country and their people who look like that and that's fine instead of uh I think like hushing it and making it just, like a bad thing to talk about or a shameful thing. Uh, kids ask me like silly questions all the time, like, "Well, why is your hair curly?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I just didn't want to be straight." And uh, a lot of people like that, and they had kids, and here I am. <laughs> so uh, it just it was. It, I thought it was a uh, when kids had asked me that, it, I thought it was very funny and delightful, kind of because they they see those things and as adults we think that, and now we're taught not to say anything about it.
1: Yeah yeah I mean i I definitely think like with young kids it's super important to start talking about those things I think I can't come on ground like I would not do that um not because I don't agree with it I think part of it is i I just my background is mostly middle and high school youth and and I just think um, I would want a director who had more experience having those conversations with elementary school youth to be to do it responsibly. Um, and I don't feel like I would be that leader necessarily. Um, and I think the second thing is that just given our mission and kind of the skills that we teach, I think that... Um, middle and high school kids have like a certain level of lived experience that like a second grader won't have just cause they're, they're only in second grade. And so I, I've seen that that is a pivotal part of our program too. So um, I do acknowledge that, but I absolutely think kids could start having conversations about race oppression early and be given the vocabulary um, really early on. I think that that's really important actually.
0: Excellent, excellent. And it sounds like um, encouraging camps to at least do active listening and empathy and uh, kindness and things like that could create a foundation on which uh, these other conversations could build on top of that. What else would you say uh, defines your anti-racism programming? What other, what other elements uh, do you think about that distinguish you from general camp programs, for example?
3: Yeah, so at Building Bridges, we we believe that anti-racism or anti-racist um, programming is an action. It is an active stance and effort against racism and racist rhetoric. Um, so we are we are very direct with our um, participants, whether they are students or adults that we work with in naming um, when those oppressive systems or um, interactions happen and making sure that our students especially feel equipped to be able to handle those situations um, and mostly on their own. Like we really believe in empowering them to be able to talk about these um, hard conversations and take action against um, racism but in order to do that you have to know well one acknowledge that it exists um, and we don't expect them to do this alone which is why we like to lean on each other and it's okay to lean on each other but it is an active thing
0: so in your uh, in your work do you talk about White supremacy and white privilege and things like that. Do you? Okay. Yes, we name it. How does that work? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. So we actually use some resources from Timmy Okun. Um, and that is what we use actually with our students and adults. We name white supremacy culture outright. We go and talk about how it's not only white people who contribute to white supremacy culture. Um, one example I always like to give is like one of the traits they mark as like perfectionism. That's something that is an American value. Um, I air quotes, an American value is that things need, there is a right and a wrong way to do things and things need to be perfect. And that's not something that only belongs to white people or white students. So I like to use myself as a black woman as an example, example to show that like, hey, this is something that I used to believe in, and thought that that was the only way to be successful. And this is how it is not. <laughs> and how are we going to work together to make sure that um, this is not a not something that the future generations believe in too? like, where can we find some space to grow and um make some changes that younger people can um, grow up in.
2: We're both waiting for each other to talk. (laughs) I'll go, thank you all. Uh, Yes, we talk about racism and just about white supremacy very regularly at work. And I think it just reminds us of what the work we do and what we expect from our young people because we also have to do it. Because uh, we are not living in a bubble outside of with the of outside of white supremacy. Unfortunately, we are also impacted by it, and it's easy to slip into that. And sometimes there be microaggressions at work. And now we have the culture, and again, the tools of communication we need to be like, "Hey, you said that thing, and um, here's how it impacted you." For example, like my boss, lovely lady, I love her, but. There's a point where I used to walk into every Zoom meeting and she would comment on my hair. And I'm like, I have great hair. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. But it was like just my hair <laughs> because I have a uh, big curly hair. And like to the point where I would like, say expecting it, like, okay, like she's going to comment about my features. Like this is a little uncomfortable. Like, you don't have to do that. I appreciate it. But and now I'm trying to make everyone else feel bad. But you don't have to comment on my hair every time you see me. It's uh, it's always gonna do the thing it does. I appreciate it. <laughs> like, as, that's like a small example, but just like calling things out, like, hey, I know you I know that here's your intention behind it, but here's how it's impacting me, and um, here's how it funnels into like this bigger system, uh, and like black women and hair and textures and all these things. Uh, so that's another example of how talk about anti racism might work.
1: Yeah, I would say at Camp Common Ground, um, there's kind of two ways we talk about it, um, talk about anti-racism. So one is in terms of like just how you live your life as a person on the relational um, end. And and so basically for us, what that means is that um, every young person in our program has skills to share about their identity, how it has influenced their perspective and also has skills to understand someone else's identity and experience with, with identity and particularly race um, and to and have skills to like have conversations that, that lead to um, really meaningful relationships across difference. And so that, those are that's why we focus on skills so that young people can do that. Um, and the second part of anti-racism is really like addressing structures. Um, that to us marginalize people of color. And so that's where like the leadership project work comes in. Um, and so we, um, through our leadership academy, teach kids um, how to look for those social norms in their schools that marginalize people of color and they actually do something about it. Um, and so each kid leaves um, um, the, the program having done a project where, um, whether it be in their school or in their community, they have um, identified a, 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 a place where people of color are marginalized um, because of a school policy, because of um, the general culture of the school, um, because of a larger social issue and they try to address a piece of it. And so for us, it's it's both the relational part, um, but it's also the, um, it's an act of leadership, right? So it's like what it's a doing piece, um, which which Reagan spoke to as well.
0: Excellent, excellent. And a lot of camps have activities that you know end up in a sharing circle afterwards and things like that. Ropes course is a good example. Are you using certain camp activities to kind of create a, an interesting space to address some of these uh, notions?
1: yeah should i i can go first the sense of building virgin was first before us. yeah so
0: i i think there's several
1: activities i also think cuz it's it's embedded in our program so deeply but i think if i had to pick like two or three that come to mind um one is called identity circle um where kids Stand in a circle and then they step forward if they identify with a certain statement. And the statements relate to race, class, gender, sexual orientation, etc. Um, but it's a really a way for them to understand more about each other beneath the surface. And then in the debrief, they talk about like what parts of their identity were easy to share, what were not easy, why, and kind of that launches into them sharing experiences about their identity. Um, the second activity that comes to mind that I think has been really effective at our program is concentric circles. And um, that's activity where they kind of do some of that identity sharing work. But in addition, they actually look at their biases and stereotypes that not only do they have about other people from different backgrounds, but that they know other people have about them. But but through the activity they get at the root of it. So like they think about like is it because of the media? Is it because of their parents? Is it because of like where does this come from? And then they kind of they they end by making a commitment of like how are they going to push themselves to like undo that in their head? Um, and it's not for and that activity. What one thing I love about it is it actually is not just about like race it's about like all forms of identity disability um sexual orientation are common forms of identity that come up um with with kids in particular and so that activity comes to mind and then then a third one um is i know a lot of camps do a color war which is kind of like a field day type activity Um, and we do it too um, but our color war um you know, without us getting into all the details, but basically it's it, it's designed where it's a simulation that models systems of privilege in our society. And so, um, at the end, in the debrief of our version of Color War, um, kids through this role play um, arrive at a place where they are analyzing larger systems of privilege in their their schools and society. And then we use that to launch this conversation about okay, so now what do we do about it as leaders? Um, and so those those are three activities that I think we we do that come to mind around this issue of anti-racism programming.
0: Excellent, Amita Reagan. What what activities are you using? Do you have ropes courses? Do you you know do things that require you know teamwork on some other you know equipment or or location or something?
3: Yeah, so in our two-week summer intensive, um, since we are up in the mountains, we do, if we have access to high or low ropes courses, we'll use those. Um, Something that we tend to do every summer, because it's always available, is the, like, spider web um, activity and really teaching about, um, more about, like, consent and, like, how do size and sizeism and biases and that we have against that or like talking about people's physical appearances or things that might be wrong with them. Um, And we use that mostly to teach our uh, students how to communicate with each other um, when some harm has been done, which then leads into like, how can this translate in other areas But as for some um, identity-directed activities, we also have an activity called Identity Circles. Um, But instead it is, uh, we have our students uh, draw five circles and a star with their name inside and they list identities that are important to them. And then they get to talk in pairs and then in a larger group about like, why are these um, identities important to you? Do you think that they will stay the same or change in five or 10 years? Um, do you think that the identities that like you wrote, do other people perceive, Do you, how do you think they perceive them? Um, my favorite two activities we do though, we have one called um, the four eyes of oppression, which is just looking at how internalized, interpersonal, um, institutional and ideological um, systems impact different identities. Um, We typically use it to talk about racism and like how they all are connected. And then we also, shout out to Kimberly Crenshaw, use um, an identity wheel to talk about intersectionality and how um, different identities can different oppressed identities can exist within people and they do and how do we recognize all of those dynamics In knowing that you are also um you are working with someone who has some um, intersectional identities so what are we going to do about this how are we going to approach these conversations and find common ground I guess
0: Excellent. Excellent. And thanks for for naming the Kimberly Crenshaw uh, resource of the wheel. You mentioned another resource earlier, Reagan. Um, You did a shout out to who was it that that created a resource that you use?
3: Yes. uh, Tema Okun. So it is T-E-M-A and then last name is O-K-U-N. And he is mostly credited with talking about white supremacy culture and lists out the different traits that you have. And there's some really awesome um, resources out there.
0: Excellent, excellent. So as you're thinking about uh, that, um, and Ron and and, uh, Hamida, feel free to jump in. What other resources might camps look to to start training up themselves, their leadership teams, et cetera? What other resources come to mind?
3: Well, of course, I'm going to have to do a plug for Building Bridges. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, We, especially with COVID, we have moved a lot of our, or all of our trainings online in a virtual space. So we do offer trainings for adults. And um, we specifically like working with adults who work with kids, um, where we talk about white supremacy culture, and we talk about race and racism and classism. Um, I think that's something that doesn't get captured a lot in these uh, larger conversations, um, which you can find all that stuff on our website.
0: Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, I'll ask you at the end to help uh, people stay connected with you. Um, but that's, that's great. And, and for the listeners, we did not plan that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just glad that this sort of training is available. Um, but Ron, any, any resources come to mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a bunch of stuff out there. And I I, I guess I would say, if I were on a leadership team at a, at a camp, I would think about what is the goal, like, what are you trying to do? Um, and I think that, because I think there's so many resources that I think, you know, no one has time to go through all of them. And I think you also don't want to do something just random. So I think like really taking time to think about like, what, what is your what, what is your aim? Is it just to like get kids to have a discussion about their experiences with race, right? And I, then I, that would be a set of resources I might turn to, right? Or is it to like work with staff? Like maybe this year we start with just staff education, right, and we don't work with the kids directly because we have some, some, some you know, like I think really taking time um, as a leadership team to think about what are the outcomes you're looking for and then finding a resource um, based on that. And I think there's like several for, for any of those possibilities.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Figure out where we are, where we want to be, you know, what we want to do to get there. Um, Amita, you, uh, talked a little bit about, um, really being kind of encouraged a lot to go to this, to this program at the beginning. Um, and Ron, I know that you do pre-session kind of questionnaires with your, uh, with your participants and their families, how else are you getting the families involved? How important is that? Uh, what what are you doing on that level?
1: Yeah, I can go first. Um, so. A few things that we do before camp, so when kids apply to our our program, we actually interview each kid. Um, And so by interview, I mean we probably meet with them on the phone for like 20 minutes or or 15 or 20 minutes. And part of that is we also meet their families. And really the purpose of that is informational. And so we share about our outcomes, the skills that I just share with y'all. We we share with them. We tell them, you know, about the commitment. you know, we try to ask families, like, why do you kind of care that your kid is involved in this program to get, because, and that's really helpful. um, Because when we start camp, we already like know a lot about their families, you know, um, as well, which just helps on so many levels. Um, The second thing we do is the month before we go to camp, um, we invite, so we work on a cohort model, right? So like um, kids in the incoming cohort, them and their families are invited to a May event that's like their orientation to camp. But we also um, invite the kids who are like year twos who are like a year ahead of them to that same orientation. And the year twos like do this, we call it passing the torch, but basically it's like they do um, a ceremony where they like induct the new kids and their family into the camp common ground community. So that's something, um that we do and then then after kids do their leadership projects like like a year later um we invite families to that presentation um and invite them to participate watch get feedback etc so those are probably the main ways that we engage families
2: yes so we do also do similar thing we interview our future participants and kind of get a read of the identities that are going to be there and that informs uh, what kind of facilitators we're going to hire because we do want the facilitator's population to match the participants so they can see someone that looks like them um, in leadership roles as well. So we're really intentional about that. Um, and I think Regan can talk more about this because she is a transform <laughs> manager, but that's like overlay,
3: Regan? Yeah, so another way we like to try to keep our families connected and engaged because um, we truly believe that in order for our work to make the best or biggest impact that it can, we have to have buy-in from the trusted adults in our students' lives. So um, I will periodically like, reach out to families to like, ask if there's any resources that they need or if things have come up in conversations with their student while they're in our programming. Um, that they'd like support to t- support with to talk about. Um, and then we just send them like updates every month through our newsletter. Of, like, this is what's going on. This is what's new. This is how we're talking about this topic. And we do encourage our families to, um, well, one, we tell them like you are now a part of the building Bridges family. And as a family member, like we're going to take care of you. Like, let us know if there are ways that we can help and um we will do our best to do so. So we really like to like not only keep our students close, but keep the families close as well so that um, our students stay engaged.
0: Excellent, excellent. And um, you've already spoken a little bit about the, the kind of transformation of we're focused on Middle East uh, peace issues to, well, wait a second, there's some real problems here that need uh, attention. What do you see as... Uh, the difference between maybe your last generation of campers and your next generation of campers. Um, There's been a a ton of um, really bad news about, uh, you know, murders and and violence, uh, especially uh, against the the African-American community in the United States that I'm hoping will have a positive outcome What do you see as the shift generationally uh, of of organizations in improving on this topic? And in your own organizations?
3: Yeah, so one thing that I've noticed, um, especially at my time at Building Bridges, I've noticed that it doesn't, hmm, that now our students that we have now grasp onto these concepts quicker Or like they already come into our programming, knowing that like, hey, this is what a, this is, this system is not serving me and my community well, and I want to do something about it. Whereas before, maybe we had to do a little more of like, what do you see happening? What do you notice? Um, So I think our students now are coming in a little more prepared than I've seen them in the past. And yeah, so I guess that's one thing. Hamida, I don't know if there's anything else, Yona.
2: Yeah, I can talk about the first iteration, the last and then to now, uh, because we had a couple of different missions. One was to talk about the conflict and how um, people from the Middle East, the U.S. and and, uh, no, Israel, Palestine and the U.S. could come together and talk about that. And now we are, and so that was that cohort. And that was kind of a, building bridges was a program you paid for. It was like really expensive. People put on their resume, get into schools with it. It was kind of like my last like people were like, I went to Harvard, like it was very normal. <laughs> it's definitely like a, a specific kind of person that went into building bridges. Uh, and now because we made it so more accessible and you know, the staff and board reflect the, the population we want to work with, naturally the people that come in now are folks from all different backgrounds. And what I've noticed in my time building bridges is I can just be like, so let's talk about racism. And it's not like having to prime the group into like, okay, everyone, you know how some people are different than other people? It's a, a lot less than that, like what Rick was saying. It's more, uh, it's really interesting. I'll be like, okay, we're talking about intersectionality. Uh, and someone will like already say, oh, Kimberly Kinshaw, like already talk about, like, I was like, oh, you already know this? It's really amazing what um, high school age youth, like they, they already see these systems of oppression at work. And now with like TV and media, I think they have, um, it's not like a secret or anything, like you don't have to go to school to learn it, you just live it and see it, it's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean, our program is different because we, we've we only served this generation. We, we've, you know, this is only our fifth year, so we, we don't have the, the history that Building Bridges does. Um, I would say though, looking forward, one of my hopes, um, for, for camp common ground youth is is part of my vision is that when you know they're in our program, but then like, you know, if we were to contact them in like five years they would be in college or or in their career and they would be assuming you know leadership roles that that are doing where you know unofficially or officially doing work like this. Um, to make sure it's not just staying with our program but it's like kind of like embedded in how they live their life in that. Um, you know, so, so I, you know, over the next year or two, I'm going to be starting to think about how do we track that? Because at that point, our kids will be, have graduated from, our first cohort of kids will have graduated from high school. So right now we haven't had a cohort that has graduated from high school yet, but we will in about two years. And so I'm really excited for, for that journey as an organization.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So, Tell me about a participant who touched your heart. Uh, do you do you have anyone that comes to mind when you think about uh, the transformational power of your of your programs? What do you who do you think about? You don't have to use real names, <laughs> but you can uh, tell us about uh, someone that really kind of comes to mind when you think about that.
1: Yeah, I can go first. Um, I'll, I'll use her real name. She she's uh, Indigo. Um, she came to us when she was a seventh grader. Um, And she was really shy. She had never been to overnight camp before and she was the only black girl in her her middle school class. And she came because she had struggled being like, she went to a really wealthy school, but she herself and her family were not wealthy. She was a scholarship kid at these schools. And she also felt really marginalized because of her race. And, um, you know, she went came for one for for her first summer, and then after that summer, to see her during Leadership Academy the following year, where you know she actually did a project in her school where she like addressed this. So she like she worked with the teachers at her school to um, create forums where the black and white students at the school could have discussions about what it was like for black students at the school. Um, and then she went to high school after that. Came um, she? She came for a second summer um, before going to high school, and then actually we just had a virtual program where we kind of opened it up to all kids. And um, you know, she right now is on this um, community youth board called More, which is is Marin um, organized for racial equality. And so basically, a uh, Marin is a is a is a, a county in the Bay Area. And basically, the whole point is that they're trying to figure out how to make things better for youth of color on Marin, which is mostly a white town. And so she sits on the board of that. Um, She just did a project where um, she um, was concerned about food insecurity um, because of the pandemic and people having to go to food banks. And so she like interviewed people who live in food deserts um, to understand more of the challenges. And she actually designed a cookbook, um, that contains only ingredients you find at liquor stores or corner markets, which are in food deserts. Um, and she published it online um, so that people could have access to healthy food without having to live in an area where there's a lot of grocery stores. So I could talk about indigo all day, but, but she's, she's now an 11th grader. And so just having seen her when she left her seventh grade year, she, she is one student among many who, who stick out to me.
0: Wow, wow, congratulations, Thanks. that's really great. Thanks. Talk <laughs> about resume building, that's, yeah. really, that's really incredible. Uh, Reagan, uh, Hamida, anyone come to mind?
3: Hamida, I'm gonna let you go first because I don't wanna, I feel like we might choose the same students so I can, I have many, so.
2: I have so many and if y'all are hearing this, I love each and every one of you. <laughs> Um, so many students stick out to me, and I think as a facilitator, um, one of the students that really stuck out to me was uh, someone who now is actually a colleague, is our facilitator, and her name is Melanin, and she was, I, I, like, she was, we had, like, little camp houses, and I was, like, camp, like, she was in my cabin, so, um, actually, no, she wasn't in my cabin, maybe the second year, I'm getting all mixed up like too many years in this camp, <laughs> but she, uh, when she first got into camp, like she was super duper shy. And uh, I know she had a lot to say and she she would always like after something, she's like, Hamida, like, and then she would tell me like what she thought. And I was like, I would love for you to share with the group. And they, she like became one of the many people that I would just like give like the Hamida look where I just like stare at them until they say something because I know they're thinking it. And now I just look at them even to this day, and they're like, fine, okay, here's what I really think. And it was just really wonderful seeing someone who, um, is really, really shy and like, I knew it was hard for her to speak up on things, even in a group of her peers to become, uh, you know, like go to school that she wanted and now is a facilitator, even though that's something that I know really scares her. Uh, And that just really inspires me because I know it's something that scares her and she still keeps doing it. (laughs) And that's just uh, one of many people.
0: Excellent.
3: Okay, cool. (laughs) So similarly to Hamida, I love each and every single one of you equally, Um, but one person who has really stuck with me over the last few years is a past participant named Riley. Um, Now, Riley identifies as a white woman and white young woman, and um, I would say that she she struggles with some like social skills and stuff but i've noticed that um in her year with us or two years actually um because she became one of our alumni fellows um i've really enjoyed watching her grow and lean into her voice and i will never forget there is a board meeting that she attended with us a like huge board meeting we're making budget decisions and transition decisions and She felt like um, one of our board members was being disrespectful and not like treating her like a child. And um, I'm so grateful that she felt empowered to say something and name it in that moment. And that was really just a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay, this is working. Like our model is working. Our students feel empowered. Wow, this is really happening Um, and it's still someone that I keep in touch with to this day Um, and yes there are many stories like that but that's just something that will always stick with me
0: that's excellent that's excellent well thank you all for empowering youth the way you do Um, and speaking of keeping in touch how can people stay connected with you after the podcast how can they uh, connect to you
2: uh, you can find us on Facebook at Building Bridges and on the, our Transform Instagram. It's just Bridges Transform, and our Shift Instagram for our adult work is Bridges Shift underscore, and our website is Building Bridges. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> I, I was so confident too.
0: <laughs> I can, I can, I can find you with that information, Ron
1: yeah so um if you just want to check out our work um go to campcommonground.org and our work is there um i'm also i love having conversations with people about um this work or or sharing ideas um or if you'd like to have a personal conversation um, um you know I, I'm down to give out my phone number, 773-633-3023. Um, and, you know, let's set up a time to talk. Um, and if you go to campcommonground.org, you'll see our, our emails there, et cetera. So you can also email as well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you all. This has been very inspiring. Uh, I'm so grateful that you were able to find the time for this. And I hope that our listeners will connect with you moving forward.